0: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of live your truth now this is our first ever audio slash video podcast recording i know i'm super excited katie it's gonna be awesome we are going to be putting out clips from these episodes on youtube we don't have a date yet but you'll probably see our pretty little faces more than you probably want to on linkedin on instagram Mm -hmm. and all the social media platforms that we feel like posting this so anyway i am mike ligori
1: And I'm Katie D'Andrea.
0: Yeah, and we're back. So this week, well, actually, let's start off with this. Last week, we were talking about how to overcome self-limiting beliefs. That was the first episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, please go check it out on Apple and Spotify and where you get your podcasts. It was a pretty, I would say it was actually a pretty solid conversation in the sense of it was something that a lot of people have been thinking about and talking about with You know, the stories that they've been telling themselves, some of the narratives that they've grown up with, some of the things that they say to themselves consciously and subconsciously every single day. So with that being said, a lot of people really liked the episode. It was really great to get messages from people saying like, thank you so much for doing an episode like that. It kind of got me thinking a little bit about like Mm -hmm. some of the shit that I've been telling myself. But because of that episode, Katie, today we're going to go into something that you brought up to me which was the actual five core limiting beliefs. So we're going to be running through that today, everybody. And Katie with her, yep, we got five of them. I, I actually did 10, but five. <laughs> They're
1: probably about 10. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. There's There's probably like a hundred of them that we keep telling ourselves, but there's five main core limiting beliefs. But before we get into that, we're going to actually start off with the foundational approach. And so Katie's going to walk us through exactly where these come from. And then we're going to go into the five core limiting beliefs. So Katie, uh, the first thing is before we were actually recording today, you were talking about this thing called Raz, right? Did I say that right, Raz? Okay. And I was like copiously like taking notes. Like I have all my my stickies and shit on my computer. I have this notepad that I just like frantically scrabble things as you were talking. Um, but I would love for you to take the audience through what this thing called Raz is. Where is it located? It's something that's in your brain, right? It's like at the base of your brain, I believe yep, okay. cool. So very good learning, Mike. yeah, I know I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm all I'm also hopped up in caffeine at four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon on a Monday. So you know, Mike is Mike is alive and 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 ready to go. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I would love for you to just walk us through exactly what RAS is and uh, and what it's all about,
1: sure thing. so r a s raz, ras, however you want to pronounce it is called the reticular activating system, and that is located in the base of your brain like Mike was talking about, and it's basically our filter. We get so much information uh, by the minute as human beings, and so this is a system almost like a a colander that helps us filter out what doesn't make sense, what doesn't seem true, and what's not in alignment with our belief systems and structures. So, the way I think about it is almost like a, a a filter or a funnel, which basically, like every information that comes in, the stuff that's in alignment with our worldview, or our belief systems and structures, gets stored. Everything that's not gets discarded.
0: So, is this like an actual? Is this like a physical thing that you can see in the brain? So, it's like a built-in filter.
1: It's a built-in filter. Yes.
0: Wow. I it's did not even know that. A little
1: bit of that. brain science for you on a Monday.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, you got to love that. But it's, wow, that's really interesting. So is it like a, what's it look like? Is it a veil? Is it a sheet? Is it a box? Is it like, what does it look I like? I Is it a monster truck? I just I imagine
1: it as my funnel to not be overwhelmed by Like a the, coffee.
0: F- got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Prolif- there's so. I mean, think about how many thoughts you have a day, a second. I mean. How many
0: thoughts do you have a day?
1: Oh, should we do a quick uh, Google search?
0: I think was it was like ten I thought it was like ten thousand thoughts a day. or is that ten or is that dreaming? Maybe that's dreaming. I think you have something where
1: um, six thousand two hundred
0: That's how many thoughts you have a day. Mm-hmm. I know, like for dreaming, it's like in the tens of thousands. like you have like tens of thousands of dreams, but you only remember one at night too. does yeah, the, do so you so know so if the, the, those
1: are the conscious thoughts that we have, not the thoughts that are just like kind of leech on to other stimulus. Right. in the like there's a million things I could think right now looking around my room. The RAS is just like, okay, this is what is important right now.
0: Mm. Got it.
1: For my understanding.
0: Yeah. And then so with that, does the RAS like have a, a a system of like guidelines or principles that it operates on its own? Like, does it I, I guess what I'm getting at here is, is that how does it filter or know which thoughts or which ideas or which experiences to filter through it? Good
1: question. I, I think our conditioning. Mm. Like the moment we're born into this world we're brought into an environment with people with stimuli with inherited belief systems and structures that we take on as almost like fact as reality and so it's this like snowballing conditioning is how I imagine it mm. in my mind
0: yeah. is there is it would you say that's applicable to the it's also applicable to these core limiting beliefs that you were talking about earlier though right mm-hmm. and what yeah. would you say of with these I guess, with these core limiting beliefs, you said these were the five most common ones. These are like, or are they common or are they the strongest ones? Or like they're, they're the ones that like stand out the most.
1: I think they're four to the five that I'm about to mention are like the strongest flavors, like a chocolate and a vanilla yeah, and a strawberry. Right. And then there's variations from there. But from my experience doing my own personal work, from getting my coaching certification, from working with my coach, Jen Mons, who I uh, adopted these five, these five different limiting beliefs, core, core. I guess, core limiting beliefs from, um, mm-hmm. they seem to hold their own. They seem to have the, the strongest roots in my exploration and my work with my clients.
0: Well, let's go through them. So the first core limiting belief that you identified to me before the show was the the not worthy piece. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I'm like, damn, that's that's a pretty powerful one. Is there any sort of hierarchy to these core limiting beliefs? Like, is the not worthy one the one that's like, everybody feels that way. And that's the most strongest. And then like, maybe the one number five is the one that's kind of like, uh, not the strongest. Or am I just or did you just list? Them? I would
1: say pick your favorite flavor of suffering, Mike.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. And these limiting beliefs, they come from like a, a big trauma or a core wound when we're young very youngian and youngian and psychology it ha- like we adopt these beliefs between the ages of like 4 to 8 as mm. a result of something pretty traumatic happening and feel free to pop back to episode 1 about overcoming limiting beliefs Mike and I explore what they are and how to identify them and how to overcome yeah. them which we want to also dive into after this episode maybe episode number 3 or 4 because it's so important because these things run our lives
0: yeah and it's very apparent, Katie, that when, when you were talking last episode and we were recording that, for me at least, hearing you say what those self-limiting beliefs are, I actually like have gone back and thought about which one of these core limiting beliefs, even before the show, I was looking at these and I was going, man, I wonder which ones I sit with the most. And so this not worthy one, um, talk to me about like what is that exactly, the not worthy core uh, limiting belief? That people have.
1: Mm, yeah. So, not worthy, or I'm only worthy when. So, basically, you're only worthy of something good if X, like if it, it's very conditional. Um, and worthiness is, I would say, most millennials and most Gen Zers. I mean, probably, I guess, if these are five core beliefs, so many people, regardless of their age or generation, struggle with worthiness. It's a feeling of deservedness, of goodness, of Merit. It's Mm. when you're not worthy, you're not receiving. So you're totally blocking what's wanting to come your way. At the same time, if you believe in this, um, if you don't believe you're worthy, that's the vibration that you'll put out and you will attract situations that will demonstrate your lack of worthiness. Worthiness for me feels like I got this. Like this isn't, I'm in the right place at the right time. This is for me. I deserve this. Mm. I have value.
0: You said something about merit and I find that really interesting because I consider America to be a meritocracy, right? Like it's like you, you work hard, you get rewarded for it. You move up the ladder. That's the system that we believe is what America is built on, right? Small, you know, coming from nothing and becoming something. And I find it really fascinating that you said merit within regards to not worthy. Can you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by merit with this?
1: Sure. I'm like, welcome to Katie's past 30 years. (laughs) I come from Southwest Connecticut and I um, went to school at Yale University and worked in like Mm. a fancy corporate job for a while. And so for the longest time and still now, I tie a lot of my worth to my productivity and my achievement in an academic or professional sphere. Mm. And so by merit, it means achievement.
0: Got it. And you also said it's not really, it's regardless of age. But you said something, I, I think I sense something from you that it's, it's more predominant in in generations. Do you, do you think that it's with younger generations, they feel like the merit piece with them stands out more than maybe the older generations?
1: I don't know for sure, but given the highly digital nature of the generations younger than us, I have confidence in saying or declaring that as my observation.
0: Mm, okay. Because
1: yeah. it's what That's you look it. like. You know, who you are on social media, which is a highly curated version of you.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: It's not your truth. I mean, it's a truth, but it's not the real you. It's not the whole you.
0: Yeah. And it also shapes a lot of the things that we think are real about the world too. So, you know, events that we miss out on. I know before COVID, a lot of people were hopelessly scrolling through their feeds on social media, seeing that their friends were going to Bali and going to Mexico and doing all this fun stuff. And they, yeah and they weren't doing any Get of that. Get
1: rid of it now.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's it's one of those things where I guess it's a necessary evil in a lot of ways to have social media. But I've also seen like a huge, I've also seen, I wouldn't say huge, but I would say it's an uptick, right? In people getting rid of social media because of this not worthy factor that to put it bluntly, uh, social media makes me feel like shit is the common phrase that I have heard more often, probably in the last month, from people than I've heard maybe in the last year. It's which is really fascinating to me. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Amen. When I when I notice my mental health start to decline, social media is the first thing I remove off my phone, mm. and it's addicting. Like there's a reason why we use it so much is because our brain is addicted to the dopamine or the serotonin or whatever that that hit is that we get the adrenaline when we see a red notification on our so, on a social platform. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, yeah. And I struggle with this as an entrepreneur and I'm sure Mike, you do as well. It's like the fine line of using it to serve you and your business and your outcomes versus it using you.
0: Right. I think for my, you know, the live your truth media, that's one of the things that we were doing in 2019 was putting more stuff in social media and then 2020 came and then COVID impacted everybody's businesses, including ours. And we started seeing that like social media, to us was at the back, was like we had to move it to the back burner, but we still had to have a presence. We still had to be online. We still had to be searchable because that's how people look at you now as they look at your feeds and they'd see, are you a real person? Are you a real business? What kind of stuff are you putting out right? Like air quotes. So, <laughs>
1: real? That's one thing I want to get into here, right? Reality. What is reality really?
0: Yeah, well, we're going to have to save that for another episode because I want to move on to two, which is the second core limiting belief that you had said was not being loved or not loved at all. Is that is that accurate? Did I say that? I only wrote not loved on my little green sticky note, but...
1: Yeah. Our, and I'm only lovable when.
0: Okay, so you actually have said that uh, phrase in the previous one too, and I find that really interesting. Like, what is what is the meaning behind you phrasing something like that when it comes to this core belief, and also the previous one?
1: That's a great question and good noticing. Uh, it's conditional. Mm. It's all about doing a thing or the thing to achieve a specific result, rather than unconditional love or unconditional worthiness or unconditional trust, which is the next one we'll get into. So for, I'm not loved, it's like, that goes back to a very primal thing. If you're not loved, you will be kicked out of the tribe and you'll be at risk of death. So loved is this sort of like belongingness to the group. It's safety, it's security.
0: And even, would you say that people, when they they even have that, like if I have a group of friends still, do I have found... Maybe even more so now than probably before, or maybe I just notice it now that even when you have a group of friends, I feel like people, well, I don't want to make a generalization here, but I read somewhere where like people are still feel super alone, even though they're like very connected. Like we just talked about social media that we're so, we're like too, we're almost like too connected is, do you think this, this limiting belief of not being loved with this connectivity has something to do with it. Do you think that plays a role? Do you actually think that it's a you know that the overconnectedness, overconnectivity I should say, actually contributes to this like not being loved type of belief that people might have?
1: Sure. I would I guess definitely. I think it's like a very complex and complicated system and by that I mean like the social entity that we exist in, social structure. I would say the more proof that we're looking for of being loved or disproof, the more we'll find that. Hmm. And so if our RAS, our reticular activating system, is tuned into the frequency of loved or most likely, given a self living belief, I'm not loved or I'm only loved when, uh, social media doesn't feed that back to you. Hmm. It feeds back everyone else's highlights. And so if you're looking for a point of love and affirmation, you will not get that and you will not feel loved. Dang. Conversely, I'm really excited to be on Clubhouse with you, Mike, because from my current experience with Clubhouse, it feels like a place where people can show up as their truest and best selves and receive support for those that speak up. And I agree. I've listened to a couple of conversations about the inclusivity of Clubhouse and people fall on all different spectrums of that. And for me, it feels like the most authentic social media that's out there right now. I agree. Which is pretty freaking cool. Yeah. And it's
0: so great. And if you guys are looking to get onto Clubhouse to join us on Thursdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We only, Katie and myself, only have a limited number of invites because the platform is still in beta. So if you DM us on Instagram... And you ask us for an invite, we'll more than likely get you one if you listen to the show. But once we run out of them, iPhone only. yeah, I I have three. Um, I would highly suggest that you go hit up as many of your friends as possible to get on there. It's an amazing platform. It's so great. We'll even put a link into the show notes as well for you to join our room. The third one that I want to, I want to keep this moving along because we got a couple more. We're about halfway through Uh, Mm -hmm. the third core limiting belief that you had mentioned to me before was not being seen or heard. Go for it. Tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit more about that.
1: And like I said, in for one and two, I'm only seen and heard when. And so, what this limiting belief does is kind of enables behavior that attracts attention because your worth and your and your loveness is contingent upon whether you're seen or heard.
0: So, acting out. So, like a child acting out is like that would be an example of that. Is like that you're not being seen or heard, so you create some sort of event or respond or an overreaction to something is that correct
1: mm-hmm. and so if you're not seen or heard you're going to be forgotten you may not be given food you may not be giving a place to stay like these are all so primal we've evolved so much as human beings yet i really have a hard time believing that our basic fears have changed
0: yeah i i don't think they've changed at all i think specifically like we are scared of the same shit that we were tens of thousands of years ago maybe we don't have dinosaurs like chasing our ass or like predator, you know big ass cats like chasing us but I, we're still scared of the same thing if it's not a cat it's herd mentality or it's groupthink or we give a talk on stage and we're afraid that everybody thinks we're a joke and then so in some ways maybe we aren't being seen or heard the way that we want to or you're actually a great example this is in the workplace where you're not invited to a meeting that you should be a part of. And maybe it was an unintentional invite, but uh, you take it as in like, I'm not valued. I'm not being seen or heard, even though I bust my ass or I work really hard at a job, my boss didn't invite me to this meeting. So maybe I send out an email that's like, you guys all suck. I hate you. I quit my job, which is pretty drastic. Or it's very passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. right? Behavioral type stuff where you say something to somebody that, you know it's a microaggression, right. Or it's like a backhanded compliment. Like those would be something that I would consider like the, uh, like the, the not being seen or heard.
1: Yeah. And also being a woman that's 30 years old, there is a fair amount of body shame and body image issues that I've experienced as well as a lot of my friends and family. Mm. So for that, I'm only seen, I'm only valued. I'm only desired when I'm thin and beautiful
0: or you have a certain body type right that mm-hmm. everybody agrees upon is like the perfect type and everybody men and women that don't fit in that body type of what the 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 group thinks is uh that would yeah. be an example as well right
1: yeah clothes wealth mm. display of wealth yeah yeah i mean this is steeped in everything we do right yeah or can be
0: so i and i think it's valuable for everybody listening to it. You know, something that you guys can think about in terms of self-reflection, if you choose to go that route, is really, truly think about times where you have not felt, seen, or heard and where that came from. And when
1: the meaning that you made of it.
0: Right. Yeah. And exactly. And I would even say, Katie, maybe, and I would love for you to just contribute a short little answer to this, is maybe because... They see something on social media and they're not part of that. Therefore, it's I'm not being seen or heard. And even though I have friends and family members and followers, um, I still don't feel like I'm in that group. What do you think?
1: Yeah. And as you were saying that, like the, the words authentic truth just kept blaring across my forehead. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why do we have to shape shift? to be seen and heard. Whereas like, we're, we're really here. What I believe is that we're really here to live in our authentic truth mm. and to learn.
0: That's good. I like that.
1: That it's an injustice really to give up on that truth. And that's why I love what we're doing right now. Mike is helping people write their authentic stories, their authentic narratives on their terms
0: mm-hmm. yeah. rather than
1: living into this garbage that we've inherited. And it's just bullshit.
0: Yeah, it is. And it, you know, and we could probably do, a whole other episode specifically about comparison iceberg, you know the the iceberg theory that people talk about but i want to get into four which is the fourth core limiting belief is not trusting or not being trusted or i am only trusted when do you see i picked that up yeah there you go not being trusted when talk to me about trust and it, before and actually before you we get into trust i think this is really interesting because trust seems to be a thing that is constantly being talked about online trust and then there's real world trust and they seem to be two different things. Hmm. There's a woman named Rachel Botsman who actually does like, uh, I would say she's a trust expert or an expert on trust. And she has this wonderful TED talk specifically about trusting strangers. Definitely, we'll put the link in the show notes for you guys to check out. And Rachel, if you're listening, we'd love to have you come on the show and talk about this type of stuff because I find I find the work fascinating. But talk to me a little bit about your views on trust or this state, this core limiting belief itself regarding trust.
1: So the first thing that comes to mind is trust in God or trust in the higher power, uh, universe, spirit, randomness, love, whatever you want to call it. And if you're atheistic. Trust in that sort of like unplannedness of whatever this is as as a human experience. So, the first one is just kind of like, it's all random. Like, I don't trust that it's all working out for me. I don't trust that someone has my highest good or something has my highest good. Um, Trust in people, whether your parents broke your trust or a best friend broke your trust when you were younger, it causes you to always have to watch over your back. And that puts us into some sort of like a fight or flight mode that I've observed in myself, right? Like, you're never able to fully relax into your space.
0: Talk to me about events with that too, specifically. Mm -hmm. I actually was reading something where like 9-11, the 2008 crash, and even COVID has created a distrust or a lack of safety or security among millennials and Gen Zers uh, with that. What do you think about that?
1: Interesting, but I'd be curious.
0: Uh, I think society at large. I think they don't, uh, the stock, you know, our parents were investing in the stock market, right? Like they were, they dumped the retirement in there. They had pensions, the companies took care of them. I, I mean, it, it's probably events that went far back, but you know, you had the 2000 bubble. But I think if you really look at like a defining event for folks our age, in our age group, like Edge Millennials or Millennials in that sweet spot, nine eleven was the determining factor for all of that. And then you had the OA mm-hmm. crash and then you had COVID and then you had, you know, you have... These events that have happened, like in my generation, we've gone through a war, and we've gone through two market crashes already. And I'm not even like 40 yet, like <laughs> you know, and a
1: global pandemic
0: and a global yeah. Well, and that's that's what I was returning the global pandemic to with like yeah. that crash happening. So uh-huh. yeah, I, I'm curious to hear like what you think specifically with those events possibly impacting the not being trusted or or trusting of either other people or their situation or awareness around
1: Mm. them? That's such a good question. I'll own this with the I and share my experience. How does that sound? Yeah, go for it. So every time one of those events happens, it's a break in transparency. And transparency is something I learned from my coaching program, Newfield Network, based out of Boulder, which is kind of like imagine driving a car and everything's fine. Um, And then something breaks down. And all of a sudden you have to look at the steering wheel and you're like, okay, is something wrong with this? Nope. Oh, the wheel. Oh, oh, my wheel fell off my car. That sort of going along as planned with something then happening to notice like the different elements of a car is your break in transparency. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah. Keep going with that. I'm intrigued. I love this.
1: Yeah. Suddenly you notice the parts. Yeah. And so what I noticed from 9-11 or from the market crashes or from the pandemic was I'm driving along in my human experience and like everything right. is fine. Like RAS is working and I'm just filtering out the, the stuff that isn't in line with how Katie sees the world through her little goggles. And then the world shifts. And all of a sudden I am forced to stop my car and be like, oh shit, what was that? And that sort of like break in transparency is what I imagine as a break in trust, a break in probable likely outcome of our best interest in mind. Hmm. So for 9-11, it's like, America is the greatest country in the world. We're unstoppable. We are, um, (laughs) yeah, the land of freedom and power and wealth and opportunity. And suddenly this happens in my backyard because I'm from Southwest Connecticut. Yeah. And plenty of my uh, classmates' parents died in that. Um, And so it really hit home in a scary way. And I was like, shoot, like (laughs) this is absolutely terrifying. Like, what is America? Like, if this happened in my backyard, what the heck are, like, what else is happening that we don't know?
0: Yeah, or it, what what could happen to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if this happens to... What could happen
1: to my parents?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And so, for me, that was, the, those are breaks in trust, right? Like, once again, I take health and in, in, in global health uh, or public health in, in my life for granted. Mm. And so, when it happened in China, I remember being like, gosh, that's so unfortunate. Like, poor China. <laughs> And then it lands in our backyard. I'm like, shoot! Once again, and I and I'm laughing because it was so traumatic and so jarring and so breaking of my trust, breaking of my expectations, breaking of the system in which I had come to rely on. That it was like floor shattering.
0: Yeah, and with COVID too, like it's the same thing because you know the last real true pandemic was a hundred years prior with the Spanish flu. If you've seen those those infamous photos. And yeah, we've had the AIDS, we had epidemics with AIDS and we had SARS and we had um, you know, I think we had I think there was maybe like one or more, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we never had a global pandemic where every single country was hit. And then when we found out COVID came to the United States and it was all over the world, and we were thinking like, oh, we weren't gonna get it. You know, I, I would say that's like we weren't gonna get it or we were gonna be fine. And then we ended up getting it and it just spread like wildfire. And I remember seeing the trust of people's health, right? It went from, I think even a lot of ways, you know, even the wearing of the mask, the wearing of the mask is like a public safety measure that everybody is like, we're trying to protect each other, but they also reinforce that the government reinforces it and says it's, or the health official, the CDC, probably more than likely, it's not that it's more about Um, It might not be you because you could be asymptomatic, but it could be for somebody else. And if you notice, like everybody wears masks because they it's not themselves they don't trust. It's that they don't know where you've been and you don't know where the trust is. And even and it's like almost like not even personal. It's just like, but that's a trust issue, right? In a lot of ways, I don't know where you've been. I don't know who you've hung out with. You could possibly have COVID and Mm -hmm. I don't want to get it. And I find that like really, now you're saying that it's like something that's very current to what we're dealing with now. It's the right thing to do. It's the safe thing to do. But at the same time, it's also, that's an example of trust.
1: Oh, totally. And Mike, you hit on something so important that I was really excited to hit on during this episode was like, so within those five different buckets of trust, there's like four Mm -hmm. different layers. So trusting in God or spirit or the divine, trusting in self, trusting in others, and then trusting the world. And by trusting, it could also be, you can replace that with unhealthy beliefs. So unhealthy beliefs about God, self, others and the world. And
0: we're going to have to do a whole episode on that too, but I'd love where you keep going. Sorry. I love where you were going with this.
1: Well, your beautiful narrative or what you just said hit on those points so clearly for me, because it was like, you know, is God going to do this to us? Like, do we deserve this? am I trusting that God has my best interest in mind? Well,
0: that's a form of, yeah, that's a form of mistrust. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And then for mm-hmm. me, it was like, do I trust my body? Do I trust that I'm going to be okay if I get this thing? Do I trust that like yeah. I'm going to persevere? Do I trust that I'm washing my hands enough freaking times per day?
0: Yeah. Or am I getting enough vitamin D, right? And the minerals and vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, and then your thing about masks and doubting other people and being like, do I trust that the other person's being safe? Like, like, do, I, do they wear their mask?
0: So-and-so is too close to me. So you gotta stay six feet. Yeah, there's science that proves that, but there's also this, uh, there's a truth factor to it too, or trust factor, I should say, not a truth factor, a trust factor within that too. So I feel like we could keep talking about all this trust stuff going on, but I wanna get into the last one before we wrap up this episode. This was something when you said to me I I recently read a book about hope and when you said this to me it conjured up a lot of those like feelings that I had reflections about that book and the book I'm talking about is uh Everything is fucked a book about hope by Mark Manson who also wrote the other book Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and the book about hope was really interesting where it was a it was it was like this opportunity to really think about where hope comes from and why we need to have it, but also this pessimistic view about it as well. But the fifth limiting core belief is you talked about being hopeless or becoming hopeless. I'd love for you to just talk a little bit more about what hope is or where where this hopelessness stuff comes from in terms of a core limiting belief.
1: Mm, That's a good question. I would probably say that most people that are listening to this podcast, because it is about personal and professional development, probably don't subscribe to this belief. It's it's all hopeless. It's basically full resignation. Like anything I do doesn't pay off. This comes up a lot with people and their diets and their lifestyle. Like it's not worth it. Like it's, you know, it's a sunk cost. is kind of how I imagine it's, all, it's hopeless. It's a lack of faith that you can create your own new narrative and empowering belief system that could change your current reality to something mm-hmm. else.
0: And what would you say for hopeless, like just for hopeless in general, are there more common situations where people are more hopeless than they aren't in some other ones?
1: I would say privilege, right? If if you're born into a world where people don't move, there's immense poverty, there's emotional abuse, there's physical abuse, uh, people don't leave your neighborhood, you've never seen wealth before, you don't even know what wealth is. It takes a lot of effort and courage to dream your way out of that world. And so I would say people that are born into systems and structures like that, without a lot of privilege, most likely fall susceptible to being hopeless. But it's also, I mean, it impacts everyone, right? Like we're all having experiencing our human condition. And so, yeah, I would love to, I want to study this actually, because I think it's very profound and so, and so multi-layered. And like, I have my own biases and my own conditioning where like I've been taught that I can do anything I want to right? And so my limiting belief is very different than it's all hopeless because I've been brought into a world where if you hope something enough into existence and you take action accordance to that dream and that vision and that hope, like you can move mountains, mm. but a lot of people haven't been taught that. So that is definitely a limiting belief is just like status quo, taking what is yeah, and not being able to shift it.
0: That's good. No, that's, that's good. I, I love what you said. And We've gone through a lot today and I and I and I wanna make sure that we end this because for all of you out there, this was a pretty pretty thorough episode, usually a little bit longer than what Katie and I have planned to do. But we felt like that these core limiting beliefs that we wanted to share with you guys is super important in how you go about your day and how you go about writing your ultimate story. Because once you get to the the core of what are the things that you believe in that either are falsehoods or things that you're unsure about your belief, in, whether they're positive or negative, these core limiting beliefs are something that even show up in my life. They show up as a writer specifically. I mean, shit, man. I have been probably at some point in my life have experienced all five of these at the same time or just one of them. And more than likely experienced probably one of them at the time that just sticks in our head and it keeps everything going. But with that being said, we're going to end this episode on just a really a key takeaway. So Katie, with everything that you said today, is there one thing that you want people to take away from this episode?
1: Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this question. The first step to shifting anything to changing anything is awareness. And so start to tune in to your thoughts, 6,200 thoughts that you have on a daily basis, and become aware in a very non judgmental way of what's your narrative. Is it conditioned on worthiness or lovability or see, uh, being seen and heard, trusting in a greater source bigger than you or hopelessness? And then in the next episode, we'll explain how to start to transmute. That belief system.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I would probably say for people out there, is really think about which one of these pops for you as like the strongest one, because more than likely it could be all five. And listen, if it is all five, that's okay. If it's not all five, that's amazing. But more than likely, you're going to have one, if not more, of these constantly in your mind, constantly telling you things, because your brain wants to just keep you safe. Your brain is not there to make sure that you are going to thrive at every single point of time. It's you that has to tell your brain that like, listen, I'm going to do this anyway. I know you're just looking out for me. And that's even something that I'm still recently learning with everything. So with that being said, that's all we got for this week. I'm Mike. And I'm Katie. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please share this episode with your friends and family and Also, we are on Apple Podcasts, everybody. I would love for you guys to just leave a review, subscribe to the podcast. Every single review really gives us an opportunity to get discovered and reach more people specifically around this message of writing their ultimate story. We'll see you next time.